Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation highlights from The Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. This podcast is being released during the month of January, which is National Human Trafficking Awareness Month. Coming up, you'll hear comments from Pat Bradley, who leads the organization Crisis Aid International. He was a businessman who saw the genocide in South Sudan over 20 years ago and wanted to do something about it. The organization has expanded and its mission includes helping those who are in bondage to human trafficking. You'll be hearing his comments coming up. Then you'll hear from Dana K. White. She's someone who has emerged as an expert on the topic of decluttering and she sees spiritual ramifications in managing her home well. And on this edition of The Intersection, Katie Talento has been involved in developing healthcare strategy in a previous presidential administration and now leads the Alliance of Healthcare Sharing Ministries. Information about how healthcare sharing works, including its biblical foundations, is ahead. Finally, Jay Jacino is a homeschool dad. He's also been a teacher at a Christian school. He has led Equipping Teachers International and has written material dealing with encouraging teachers to allow Christ to work through them in the classroom. From his vantage point, he has unique insight into some of the cultural trends that Christians are having to navigate. And before a seminar in Prattville, Alabama recently, he provided some insight. This is the intersection of production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. Pat Bradley is founder and CEO of Crisis Aid International, which ministers in a number of different countries around the world. One of its areas of emphasis is human trafficking, and with January being National Human Trafficking Awareness Month, I thought it would be great to let you hear from him as he shares his God-directed approach to dealing with this serious and tragic subject. Here now is Pat Bradley. We were in this capital city in East Africa and talking to a guy that had a ministry to street children. And... In the middle of this conversation we were having on the corner, it was a, I think it was a Saturday afternoon, I just felt like the voice of God said to me, ask him about prostitution. And mm. I thought, that's crazy, you know? And then, <laughs> But it, it came back to me a couple minutes later, so I, I asked him. And he looked at me like I was crazy, but he told me about this big red light district. And so I just said, hey, can we go and see it tonight? He said, sure. So he took me down there, and it was... Uh, I had a friend describe it like if there was no God and if there was no such thing as God, this is what the world would look like. And it was like living hell. There was no running water. There was open sewage. And then there were these girls and there were thousands of them. They live in these little tin shacks that are six feet by eight feet, just enough room for a bed, maybe a small table, but no running water. Sometimes electricity worked. Most of the time it didn't. And these girls were trapped. They were trapped. They have no way of getting out of there. And so we walked up to a group. Um, I had an interpreter with me, and we started discussing, struck up a conversation with five of these girls. And then um, we were gathering a crowd because, as you can imagine, I'm a white person, and I, you know, and I was the only white person there, except for a friend who was with me. Um, so I said, can we go in your room and talk? Because it's we're getting a rather large crowd. So we did. We went in there, and as we were walking, in, I saw saw this one young girl walking down the street. And I invited her in, and she came in, and um, long story short, we led all six of those girls to Jesus that night, and they mm. accepted Christ. And for whatever reason, God had me focus on this one girl, the one that nobody knew. The five girls knew each other, but they didn't know who this other girl was. No one knew. She just agreed to come in the room. And so 
God told me to baptize her. And I just kind of, another one of those thoughts, so I just, that was me. I didn't know what he's talking about. I don't, didn't know what was happening. And so um, it came back again and said, you know, God said, baptize her now. And so there's no water. I've never baptized anybody, but I sent a, uh, someone out, and they got a pan, a pan of water. And we went out in the alley, and I told her to bend over. And I remember pouring the water over her head and, and saying what I thought was the right things to say when you baptize somebody. Um, and then at the end, I said, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then I had her stay, like raise, rise back up because she was bent over because I didn't want the whole pot of water going all over her. She had the Bob, she had this smile that lit up the entire alley. It was the most incredible transformation I have ever seen in a human being. Wow. And because when she went in, she was so dejected, so down, so just empty of a spirit, empty of, of, of life itself. But she, after she was baptized, she was radiant. And I looked at her and I said, can you leave tonight? No, I'm sorry. I said, do you want to leave here tonight? And as soon as it came out of my mouth... <laughs> My my associates looked at me. I thought, what am I saying? And she said, yes. I'm like, oh, great. What about your pimp? Well, he, she said, he's not here tonight. I said, well, go get your stuff, and we'll wait here for you. And so she came back 10 minutes later with a Walmart-sized shopping bag, and all her worldly belongings were in there. She had been in that red light district for five years, and I found out she was 16 years old. <sighs> and so we're walking her out of this red light district, and I'm thinking to myself, what are we going to do with her? We had no intention. This was not planned. This just happened. And um, that was the beginning of how we got into the whole field of sex trafficking. That was in 2006. Um, and as, as of today now, we have over 2,000 girls that have been victims wow. of traffickers. Pat Bradley here on The Intersection. You can learn more at crisisaid.org. Well, next up on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's Dana K. White. She blogs at the site, A Slob Comes Clean. She's also authored the book, Organizing for the Rest of Us, 100 Realistic Strategies to Keep Any House Under Control. In a recent conversation, she offered Christ-centered viewpoints regarding decluttering. Here now is Dana K. White. I'm a Christian. I'm a woman. I wanted, you know, ultimately my, my rock bottom came when I became a stay at home mom. And all the years before that, you know, I had been in college, I had been teaching, I had been, you know, living basically outside my home, you know, I mean, I had a home, but the, but I always blamed my messy house on how that wasn't my focus, you know, And so I became a stay-at-home mom, and I had always assumed that once I became a stay-at-home mom, well, then I'll actually be in my home, that'll be my focus, and I will not be messy anymore. I won't have a disastrous house anymore. And in reality, it actually became more difficult. And at that point, I realized, wait, is there something wrong with me? Like, why is it that this is so hard when it seems like from the outside looking in that this is so easy for every other person in the entire world. Mm. And because I was a, you know, I was living as a stay at home mom and you know, that I, I felt was my calling from God. And then I did not feel successful at it. Then it became a spiritual concern for me. Mm. I thought, well, what, what am I missing? Like, what is, what is wrong with me? What have I not 
looked to God for? What have I not given to God? Why is it that this is so hard? And I prayed so many times, God, please make me organized. You know, please change this thing about me that makes life hard. Um, And so I, I would say that it was a spiritual moment that started me on this journey. And that was, you know, I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to start a blog when I found out what blogs were. But I couldn't do that because my house was such a disaster and I felt like it would be something I'd have to hide and I didn't want to do that. So I just tried to get my house under control and I was like, okay, God, you've put this desire in my heart to do this, to write, to encourage women, and yet you won't answer this prayer, you know? And so it was in a moment of me just crying out to God and really being frustrated that I just felt God say to me, which I don't say that often, I don't say it lightly, Mm. but he said, just write about that. And I was like, well, that's actually a really good idea, God. (laughs) (laughs) And so... And that was the time when this name of my blog, which, you know, was A Slob Comes Clean, came to me. Now, it was all anonymous in the beginning. I thought it was just going to be a practice thing. Um, And because it was so clear that God had given me this idea, um, and I started writing this thing. I didn't tell anybody about it at first. Um, But because of that, I was like, okay, well, God's going to show me something. I'm going to finally get the, I'm going to read the verse that's going to change everything for me. And then I will finally be organized. And instead what God has shown me is that, you know, he made me this way. He made me with a creative brain. Well, one of the things that happens to a lot of people with creative brains, we have project brains. We love to tackle the big projects, but we don't do well with the day-to-day house stuff, you know, and, and because I started to write about what I was doing, trying to figure it out, It really, and as people started to read what I was writing and relate to it and say, oh my goodness, this is me too, I saw, oh, okay, part of how God made me, the part I like, where, oh, my brain works differently, I'm creative, that's directly related to these struggles. And it's not that I need to be a different person, I just need to do things in a way that actually works for me, instead of feeling like a failure when the stuff written by people who their brains don't work like me because God created them differently from me, I don't need to feel like a failure because that advice doesn't work. I just have to figure out what does work for me. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Dana K. White here on The Intersection. You can find out more through the website, aslobcomesclean.com. This is The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can find out more by going to meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center. That's where you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on The Intersection. Also, through that homepage, there are links to The Intersection Podcast, to the Media Center, as well as the Apple Podcast feed. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three, with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room, with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House program. And you can follow me on Twitter at Access the Meeting House Facebook page. There's also information on linking to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Content from the Meeting House program can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms. You can search for Faith Radio Podcast when you visit Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, 
and more. Next on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, here are some comments from Katie Talento, Executive Director of the Alliance of Healthcare Sharing Ministries. In our conversation, she discussed the concept of healthcare sharing, including its relationship with biblical principles. She also shared how healthcare sharing works. Now, it's Katie Talento. I came to Christ as a teenager, and so that's sort of driven my life. And whenever I've been involved in policy, you know, I trained in healthcare and public health. But when I came into government and started working on policy matters, you know, the things that really motivated me were how do we care for the least of these? How do we care for the uninsured? How do we protect religious liberty? And, and so healthcare sharing ministries is really this wonderful nexus between healthcare and healthcare policy. Uh, which is complicated and difficult, one of our biggest fights in America, but also between our faith and our, our religious liberty, which is under assault as well, and frankly, always will be as long as you know we have an enemy here on earth. So um, I think that the healthcare sharing ministries really solve some of these problems together all in one package, and they, they really make healthcare more human again. You know, I think so many of us, struggle with the rising costs of healthcare, but mm. also the the inhumanity of it, just the 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 loss of human dignity as we go into this large bureaucracy that healthcare has become. And we we used to do healthcare in the community, you know, in our in our homes and in small doctor practices and and now it's this big corporate bureaucracy that we all face. It's like going to the DMV when you're in a hospital and and what I love about healthcare sharing ministries is they, they reestablish that community. And as Christians, you know, Bob, we, we do everything in community. We, we do homeschool co-ops. We do education in community. If you're a pregnant woman and you have a baby, you're going to get a bunch of casseroles delivered to your house. You know, <laughs> you can count on your brothers and sisters to take care of you. And I think that folks outside of a faith community or a faith tradition it's really foreign to them that we can count on each other without a contract insurance contract binding us together, but we can count on one another to bear each other's burdens in healthcare too, where, where those burdens can be so high. And so it's something that Christians understand and are familiar with. And Katie, I remember the conversations that I had and the comments that I made relative to what has come to be known as the Affordable Care Act and some of the concerns within the Christian community with respect to that act. And and I have to say, to me, this looks like something that is truly remarkable, miraculous, that the Affordable Care Act did not eliminate the presence of of healthcare sharing ministries. And so healthcare sharing ministries have continued to function even in the midst of this mass reorganization of healthcare a number of years ago that, of course, still continues to affect us today. That's right. You know, in most of my career, I, I, I didn't get very far saying nice things about the Affordable Care Act. <laughs> but um, in the Affordable Care Act, they did uh, recognize that you know their goal was to get everybody um, having a financial solution for healthcare, right? It, it was you know as, as all policies are, there's usually some good intention behind there, and and so we were able to come to them, the authors of that bill, and say, listen, 
our members have a solution for the high cost of health care. And by the way, our Constitution protects that solution as religious exercise. So <laughs> they, they recognize that and exempted members of healthcare sharing ministries from the requirements of the Affordable Care Act, including the requirement that you have to have uh, health insurance. So it's been really important um, that federal definition of the types of ministries that are exempt and their members are exempt. Um, that's been important to, to maintain that definition as more and more organizations, uh, faith-based and not, have tried to get into this space um, and perhaps take advantage of that exemption. The fact that the definition in law is so clear and laid out has been an important protection for the true healthcare sharing ministries out there. Katie Talento here on The Intersection. You can learn more at ahcsm.org. The final guest on this week's edition of The Intersection Podcast is the founder of Equipping Teachers International and author of the book, Truth is Fallen in the Street, Examining the Pedagogy of Christian Teachers in Public Schools. His name is Jay Jacino. In advance of a recent seminar in Prattville, Alabama, offered insight into his background and previewed some of the material from the seminar. From that conversation, this is Jay Jacino now. We didn't get here overnight, number one. Uh, that's for sure. But what I'm going to suggest is that what we need to go back to in the Bible is looking at uh, three natures, the nature of God, the nature of man, and the nature of Satan. And we know that God does not change. Malachi 3.6, uh, I, the Lord, do not change. We know that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we know that God doesn't change. But what about man and his nature and Satan and his nature? And I would contend from the scripture, we read that uh, man's nature is fallen. Uh, we're sinful. Uh, Jeremiah writes that uh, uh, the heart is desperately sick. Who can know it? Um, and then we look and we see a Satan and his character and his nature. He's a deceiver. Uh, he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Um, you know, and we look toward the end of the scripture and we see that he is going to be leading a worldwide uh, rebellion against God in, in deception. And so when we, we need to start there in order to understand the things that we're seeing right now, because as you just were mentioning with the, uh, the LGBT issue, uh, it's, it goes against the science. The science is very clear. Uh, there's, there's the male and the female. We have the XX and the XY chromosomes, and it's, uh, the science is uh, absolutely crystal clear on that, but yet we see everything pushing in an opposite direction. And the question is, how do you explain that? I would submit you explain that, uh, at least to start here, with the fact that man's nature hasn't changed or sinful. The Bible's very clear in uh, Romans uh, chapter 1, verse 18, that men suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And as Christians, uh, we need to be interpreting the things that we see in light of that fact, and in light of the fact that Satan is a deceiver, and all the things that he does uh, look good, or at least they're designed to look good on the surface. So right away, we might look at a, a, a homosexual individual, and, and we might want to say, you know what, we need to love that person. And, of course, we do. The Scripture is very clear on that. We need to love uh, our, our neighbor, and our neighbor is, is everyone, essentially. Uh, but that being said, uh, in order to uh, uh, treat that situation rightly, uh, we need to be clear on, on what the facts are. And uh, it's unpopular today uh, to say the scientific facts, but it's because again, of the things I said, and that's our starting point with the scripture. 
So where do you see that all this is heading from a standpoint, either a, a Bible prophecy standpoint or just as someone that has studied various cultural trends from a biblical worldview perspective? Where are we, mm-hmm. where are we heading, do you think? Well, Daniel 7, uh, chapter 7, verse 23 is uh, quite clear uh, that uh, there will be a fourth beast that will come about on the earth, and it will be different than all the others, and it's going to... Uh, tread down the whole earth, trample it down, and crush it. Uh, that's what it says. A very clear prophecy. It's not, uh, it's not hard to understand looking at it in context. Um, and so we see that there is uh, a very real globalization that is going on today when we look around and when we look at the scripture, that Daniel 7.23, uh, we can clearly see that this, is, this has been prophesied. When I say this, I'm not suggesting we're, we're, we're at exactly that place, perhaps, in, in a fullness sense, but we are leading up to that. The systems uh, within society and the world ultimately um, are, are, are bringing us into this, this world beast sort of a system, and that's something that uh, believers need to pay attention to, both in the sense that uh, when we see these things happening, we need to lift up our heads because our redemption is near as a, as an, as a great encouragement to us, but at the same time, looking toward evangelism, toward uh, righteous living, and uh, doing the things and not wasting our time here on the earth, uh, using our, our bodies and our time and our talents as, a, as a, in a proper stewardship to God during this time that we have. It's an exciting time to be a Christian. Jay Giacino here on The Intersection. You can learn more about the book by going to the website vervante, V-E-R-V-A-N-T-E dot com. Well, we are nearing the end of this week's edition of the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can learn more through meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find the link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests from The Meeting House program and The Intersection Podcast. You'll also find links to the podcast, to the Media Center, as well as the Apple Podcast feed. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page, and you can link to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this edition of The Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.